First of all, who loves to camp? Uh, Tanya, you don't like to camp? You have a, what is this, camping like a night at the Ritz? Is that? There we go. Okay. Well, I know a lot of people like to camp. Who likes the beach? Yeah, we all love the beach, right? You know what Amy and I love? Both of those things, but especially we love to camp on the beach. We do. And uh, so there's this pretty cool spot down south of uh, Virginia Beach called False Cape, and that's where we would go down sometimes uh, and just to camp on the beach. And it's cool. You can kind of hike in and, and, um, and just go right there. There's a campground right there. You can camp on the beach. It's absolutely beautiful to go to. But the problem with False Cape is getting there. See, to get to that campground, you have to go five miles through uh, a nature reserve, okay, and in these dunes, uh, you know, and it, it's pretty rough, especially when you're carrying all your, you're packing all your camping equipment, you, as you can imagine. And the other problem with this area, and as anybody who spent some time on the Barrier Islands knows, is that it's also the territory of these creatures, flies, there we go, biting flies, right? I am convinced that these are the predecessors to the locusts from Revelation. <laughs> Do you, you, are you with me? Yeah. yeah. And so one day we were going in, and, and it was one of those you know, beautiful days where it felt like um, the Earth had kind of switched places with Mercury in the solar system. And you know, we're, Amy and I are walking in, and it's sweltering hot, and we're kind of get, you know, a little bit delirious as it is, okay? And one of, these, one of these monsters comes out of nowhere and starts dive-bombing me. Like a, like a kamikaze pilot. Now, if you, if you know anything about me, if it flies and it bites, I hate it, okay? And I get irrational. So this thing's coming down. It's, it's starting to buzz around my head, and I'm like, throw my arms around and, and, and just going absolutely bonkers. Not, this thing's not going to bite me. Well, the fly kind of looks at the situation and says, I think I'll work smarter, not harder. And he sees that I'm walking with someone else who seems to be a lot more peaceful. <laughs> so the fly alights on my beautiful bride's head. This is where perspective matters in the story. <laughs> um, Elaine Batan, he's a writer, he says that the difference between hope and despair is telling different stories from the same set of facts. <laughs> Apparently, the same is true of gallantry and abuse. I'm going to tell you the gallantry story. When that fly landed on my wife's head, I swept it off. Amy's not here. She will be next service. She would tell a different story. She would say, you blindsided me and hit me upside the head. What were you thinking? Except that she wasn't even that calm, because it turns out that my beautiful, petite, lovely, delicate flower of a wife has an inane ability to, 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 churn, to channel the, the, the temperament of a rabid grizzly bear. <laughs> and I never, I never laid a hand on my wife. After that, I can guarantee you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, I've got a lot of stories about asking forgiveness of Amy. That one kind of stands out. But you know what? It's funny, it's amusing. But no, not all stories, most stories about forgiveness are not funny, including stories where husbands lay hands on their wives, right? There's another story I want to share with you real quickly this morning. Um, it, 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 a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago, uh, I was in Rwanda, and uh, I had a chance to meet this woman. 
quickly put her picture up. Um, she's a survivor of the Rwandan genocide. So if you're not familiar with that, in 1994, uh, one group of people in Rwanda uh, attempted to annihilate an entire another group. The Hutus tried to annihilate the Tutsis, okay? And um, it was brutal. Over the course of 100 days, nearly a million people were murdered. Her story was this, that uh, she watched her parents massacred in front of her. She then escaped, but no one else in her family did. They were all killed. She hid in pit toilets during the day for two months, coming out at night just to scavenge for food. I had a lot of, I, there, and hers is not the only story, obviously. My time over there, I really had to stop and think about often, man, are there some atrocities of mankind that are just not forgivable? Because, um, you know, if there are, I got to say, genocide has to be at the top of that list. But why am I talking about all this need for forgiveness? I know, many of you probably don't want to talk about it because, because you're in that, that space of hurt yourself. Maybe you've been hurt deeply yourself and you're, and you're scarred. Maybe you're still bleeding uh, from the wounds that someone else has inf in, in, inflicted on you. Or maybe you've done something to someone else that's so hurtful you don't think you could ever be forgiven. See, if you're there, you probably want to walk out that door, but I ask, please, just bear with me a minute because what I've found is that we often run from forgiveness because we don't really understand what it is. See, we view it as a command or a duty and not a source of healing and restoration. And we need to understand it better. We need to understand this. Okay, so we're going to try and do that this morning. We're going to explore forgiveness through the lens of our Savior, uh, in particular uh, through the parable that we just heard, Matthew 18, 21 to 35, uh, if you want to turn there, okay? Um, one quick note is that throughout this message, you're going to hear me talk about grace and forgiveness, okay, quite a bit. So I want to say, what, what are we talking about when we talk about grace? What I'm talking about here is, 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 is the thing that gives us the foundation for forgiveness. And forgiveness is the decision that emanates from that foundation, okay? So what we're going to see and look at today is that why we need to, accept, uh, need to uh, seek and accept grace. Number two, why we need to extend grace and forgiveness to others. And three, how we might actually go about doing that. We're going to look at some practical things here, okay? So why we, need to extend and, uh, why we need to seek and accept grace, why we need to extend grace and forgive us to others, and how we might do that. Another way of putting it is, if we don't accept grace, we won't extend grace, and we'll live in a prison of ungrace. Okay? We don't accept grace, we won't extend grace, and we'll live in a prison of ungrace. All right, so let's look at our passage, okay? Jesus starts off here. Actually, before I do that, let me pray for us. Father God, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for the, uh, the lessons that you, you pour forth for us, Lord. Help us as we explore this lesson together, Lord. Let your spirit be among us, Lord. Let your spirit be guiding us. Let any, all the words spoken here today be yours, and, and if they're not of you, Lord, let them fall on deaf ears. Thank you, God, for this opportunity, Lord, to learn from you. Bless us in this time, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so our passage begins uh, with this interaction between Peter and Jesus on forgiveness. It says, Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70, seven, 70 times seven. 70 times seven. Now, at the outset, I think Peter Pierce probably thinking himself quite generous when it comes to forgiveness, and, and he's taken, um, you know, 
he's probably considering how Jesus characteristically takes what people thought to be the practice or the law and extends it, you know, ups, ups the ante on it. So, so he's thinking, okay, well, let's take it. The, the, the traditional uh, rabbinic tradition was three times you forgive. Three times. Well, let's take that. We'll double it. We'll add one. It'll be seven. It's a complete number. I don't know. Maybe that's what he's thinking. We don't know. It doesn't say. But as expected, Jesus does take it to a whole new level, doesn't he? whole new level, 70 times 70. So we're supposed to forgive someone 490 times for sinning against us? Uh, that's not what Jesus really is saying here. First of all, if you're forgiving somebody 490 times, you've got a different problem, and we're going to talk about that a little later, okay? But secondly, I think what Jesus is saying here, as I read this, is that he's not setting a formula for forgiveness. He's calling us to have a lifestyle of forgiveness, a lifestyle of forgiveness. His, fo his followers, for us as followers, this forgiveness and grace should think, be things that just naturally flow out of us. Okay, they should be our natural response, almost our default action. Um, so moving on in the parable, Jesus goes on to illustrate what he's saying through the parable, because maybe Peter's giving him a blank stare at this point. Um, so, so read with me here. He's, he goes on and says, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, uh, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and his children, and all that he had, and repayment be made. All right, right from the outset, I want us to appreciate the magnitude of the debt this slave was in, okay? One talent is equal to 6,000 denarii. The value of a denarii in today's terms is kind of hard to pin down. I, there was a range of 32 cents to $1.78 that I saw. Okay, but even if you take those, this slave's debt was somewhere between 19.2 million and 106.8 million. Another way of looking at it, though, is that um, a lot of people believe one denarii was equivalent to a day uh, of uh, a laborer's daily wage. If we do that and we adjust it for today with a Average, uh, hour of, uh, average daily wage of 17 hours based on an eight-hour workday, that's 136, you know, you know, do the math, $36 a day. The debt would have been $8.16 billion. So, now we don't need to settle on amount to get the point. This is a parable after all. The point, though, is that huge, the debt was huge, and it was too much for the, the, the slave to ever pay back. See, the idea of a debt too big for us to pay off should resonate with us because it's exactly what we've been born into. Our sin condition is irreversible by our own means. Now, this is a parable, okay, this is a parable about personal forgiveness. He's talking about personal forgiveness, not salvific forgiveness. But salvific forgiveness underlines everything in the life of a believer, everything. And it's, it's very much the, the foundation here too. Okay, so let's look and see what happens next. Um, <clears throat> Jesus here states the obvious, the slave couldn't repay this, and so the, ki the, the, the king orders the, the family to be thrown into prison. And then the um, scripture goes on to say, so the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of the slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Now what we're going to see throughout the parable is that the slave's reactions and actions tell us a lot about him. And what we see here in this particular section is that he had no expectation of grace. In fact, in his panic, he openly lies to the Lord 
He says, I will repay you. All right? And as we establish, he, he can't repay it. And he knows that. So he lies. He doesn't even think to, to, to ask for the one thing, the only thing that can save him in this, and that is the Lord's grace, the Lord's favor, the Lord's forgiveness. <clears throat> now, I would submit to you that we are prone to do the same thing because we live in a world of ungrace. We don't look for grace. In our, our world doesn't look for grace. And uh, we often can respond according to our, cult, our world with no expectation of it. If you're thinking, that's not me, let me give you a little illustration, okay? It's just, um, so my little daughter, Rebecca, when she was very, very young, she used to love to swing on the branch of a tree in our backyard. The problem was, this tree was a dogwood tree. Dogwood trees are not big trees. And as she started to get older, I had to say, Rebecca, I need you to stop swinging on the, the branch. And, uh, and she's, you know, she'd say, okay, she'd yield to me in the moment, but having the attention span of a, of a hummingbird, you know, the very next day, she would be out on that branch again. So one day I'm out mowing, and I look, and I see the branch, and it's kind of slightly askew. Well, not even slightly askew, it's askew. And I walk over, but it's still attached, and I walk over to take a look, and sure enough, it's broken. But it's all wrapped in scotch tape. <laughs> Honestly, I laughed. I, I found it so amusing, I didn't even, I didn't even get mad at her. But, but, but you see the point? We're not much different when, when we irreparably break things. Do we go and ask for grace, or do we go look for the scotch tape? I know this church, you all would be looking for duct tape. <laughs> but that's it. Um, see, we look, for, we look for excuses. We look for any reason why we shouldn't have to pay the debt. Maybe it's justified. Maybe we're in denial. Maybe we blame shift, whatever it may be. But you see, that, that works out in our lives. Um, so a life of forgiveness begins with starting with that expectation of grace, an expectation of forgiveness, which then empowers us to repent for what we've done, okay? It's that expectation. I'm not saying you're going to get forgiveness from people, okay? That's not the point. The point is that you will get the grace from the source of the grace that you need, okay? Which is, and it's amazing that this Lord does forgive, does forgive this, this, this uh, uh, merciless servant. Okay, but the story kind of goes on here. And um, he goes on to say, in but that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So this fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. For he was unwilling to throw... Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Oh, but he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he owed. Now, what I want you to see here uh, is that the forgiven slave doesn't accept grace. Maybe you're thinking, what are you talking about, Alec? He, he, he was forgiven. No. He accepts the fruits of grace, but he doesn't accept grace itself. He's more than happy to receive the consequences or the outcomes of forgiveness, but he re still rejects grace. How do we know? Simply by his actions. Anybody, anybody who was forgiven so much debt would never and ever have acted this way towards another debtor. He wouldn't even have asked for that debt. He would have forgiven all the debt owed to him. But he doesn't do that. And he goes so far to have the other debtor thrown in prison. Now, again, why does he do that? Because he didn't accept grace. He didn't accept that he probably did anything wrong. That's, 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 
Uh, it is a parable. The Spirit speaks through it, and this is how it's speaking to me. And he's saying basically, maybe he, again, maybe he made up excuses. Maybe he, he thought that uh, it wasn't ra- right for the Lord to put him in that much debt, or, or he blame-shifted or did something else, but he didn't want to own the issue. Um, in reality, we may be thinking, well, that's not a problem for me. I love grace. I'm a Christian. I know what it means to me. Yeah, I want you to think more deeply about that because in reality, oftentimes we don't like it at all, especially when grace gets played out in our own lives. See, due to our sinful pride, we kind of almost hate it. And just like the culture around us, we see, we see grace as, as somewhat abhorrent. We do. Let me, let, me, let me, even Christians, let me give you another illustration. About my third year of seminary, uh, I took this pastoral ministries class and my professor gave us an um, assignment, a written assignment on grace. And he said, I want you to bring, us, bring in a hard copy of that to class, right? Um, so we all did that and brought our hard copies to class. Then he started the class and he says, I want you to grade your, go ahead and give yourself any grade you want. And we were like, okay. So we did that and we handed the assignment in. And then the professor went around and said, okay, what'd you give yourselves? The range was B's, no one was going to go below B. We weren't, you know, we're seminary students, we're not dumb. Um, but the range was from B's to A's. And he asked the people who got the B's, why, why a B? Why did you select that? And they said, well, you know, I didn't work as hard as I could. It wasn't my best work here, and I just, I, I, but I, it was okay enough, so I feel like I earned a B, right? I earned a B. He asked the A students, man, they were like, oh, I rocked this. This was the best work I've done. I'm ready. I'm going to go get a PhD in grace. This is so cool. I was in the B plus folks, and I think we were mostly just confused. But, but he said, you know what? I'm going to let you keep the grades that you gave yourself. But every one of you failed the assignment. See, I gave you a chance to give yourself an A, but you insisted that you had to earn it. You insisted to take the grace. See, we do this, even Christians, even me. I know I have these issues myself. Don't, don't think I'm any different. And the question I ask of you this morning is, do you accept grace? Again, not the fruit of grace. I mean the idea of grace. So we have to get to the bottom of that question because if we don't, ex- if we don't accept that the grace God extends to us, just like the servant, we won't extend the grace to others. God's grace is the foundation of forgiveness. Colossians 3, 12 through 13 says, uh, so... So those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, with one another, and forgiving each other, whoever had a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. The Lord's grace is the foundation of our forgiveness. So you see that God's grace and our ability to forgive um, uh, are inextricably brown, uh, bound to one another, all right? Um, and if we don't extend grace, if we don't accept grace, we won't extend grace, right? And we'll live in a prison of ungrace. And that's what we see next in the parable. It says, so when his fellow slaves saw what happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, the Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. You should, not also, uh, should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. See, you'll note the obvious. 
It wasn't the slave's debt that landed him in prison. It was his refusal to extend grace, the grace that he so richly benefited of. And so it is with us. We don't expect grace, accept and accept grace and expect grace. We won't give grace and we'll be in a prison of ungrace. See, if we don't seek forgiveness from those we've hurt, we won't ever have peace. We'll be imprisoned along with our litany of excuses and denials. Likewise, if we don't extend grace that God has given us, we won't extend forgiveness to others. And if we don't extend grace and forgiveness to others who have hurt us, we won't have peace. We'll be imprisoned along with our bitterness, anger, and need for revenge. And brothers and sisters, vengeance has an insatiable appetite. It will eat you alive until you deal with it, until we deal with it. All right. So, I've been pretty strident here all morning about the need to forgive, um, and I know uh, because it is the biblical thing to do, but I do not blame you if you're sitting there being like, Alec, you have no idea what I'm going through. How can you stand up there and talk about this? You don't know my pain. I know some of you probably are. Some of you, again, thinking, you don't know what I've done. Yet I'm going to speak anyway. (laughs) Um, Because what I've found is that our inability to forgive doesn't really, it's not tied to the depth of that which was done against us. Our inability to forgive is because we really don't understand what forgiveness is. I had a wonderful time to spend some time with the folks in, in, in our amazing counseling center here at the church. So, you know, I, uh, I, you're getting professional stuff here. This isn't just stuff I made up. I'm not dumb, I know, uh, to draw all my resources around us. And, and we had a conversation about this. And from that, I want to give you three keys, in essence, to getting out of the prison of ungrace and living a lifestyle of forgiveness, okay? These are three keys to get you out of the prison of ungrace, of grace. First of all, we need to understand what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. This is foundational because so much of our struggle uh, to seek forgiveness and our struggle to give is because we don't have a true understanding of what forgiveness even is. Okay, I'm going to share a few thoughts on that. But what I want to note is that you'll see these cards as you go out if you haven't got one. This is from our counseling center. It's from therapistaid.com, I think. Um, And it's a great little resource to tell you what is forgiveness and what it's not. And this has got more than I'm going to tell you, but pick up one of these on the way out. Also, the Counseling Center is, uh, their information's at the bottom. So if you're really struggling with these issues, let's get practical about it, okay? Reach out to them. All right, so what is, first, what is forgiveness and what is not? First, forgiveness is about your, your own healing and not the exoneration of those who hurt you. Forgiveness is not excusing the actions of another. It's letting go of the anger and pain that so deeply hurts us. Likewise, if you're needing to ask, uh, if you need to seek forgiveness from somebody, if you're asking for it, remember, it's not about your, it's about your own confession and acceptance of the wrong. It's not about receiving exoneration from those who hurt you. See, you may never be forgiven, but if you're truly repentant in your heart, the failure of another one, another person to grant forgiveness won't stop you from healing. God will be in it, okay? Okay? But if you seek forgiveness because you want to be off the hook, you don't really have a repentant heart. And as such, you're not going to experience true God-given forgiveness. Finally, I want to note that uh, forgiveness doesn't continue toxic relationships. 
It transforms broken relationships. Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean that you have to go on living with them, okay? Uh, remember I mentioned to you before that if you find yourself forgiving the same person 490 times, you may not have a forgiveness issue. This is what I'm talking about, okay? If someone continues to hurt you over and over a time, it's time to forgive and it's time to move on. Second, I want to say forgiveness is both a choice and a process. Um, so remember how we talked about grace is the foundation upon which we base a decision to forgive um, well, and that God through his grace enables us to forgive. But the act of forgiving still requires a choice. Okay? And it most likely will be more than one choice. Forgiveness is rarely a one and done, I forgive and it's over, Okay? You may find yourself having to decide to forgive for the same sin over and over again as the anger, as the frustration, as the hurt bubbles up and bubbles up and bubbles up. One of, our, one of the counselors, Julianne, I think it was, said, you know, that 490 times Jesus talked about, that might be the number of times that you have to find yourself one more time saying, no, no, I'm forgiving this. But stick with it. Stick with it because it's a process and you will get there. And if you're a place of needing to forgive, right now, but you really don't feel like you're ready, it's okay. Don't beat yourself up. Pray. Wait on the Lord. And, but if, you've, and if you have decided to begin that process, and you're getting up every day and you're going like, why don't I feel any better? Why is this not? Why don't I have peace? Persevere. You will have peace. You will have peace, but it's a process. Um, and third, I want to say a true forgiveness is a spiritual matter, meaning you cannot go this alone. You can't. You can't do it. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God. See, our faith and the grace of God that comes through that are a gift from Him, which means by extension that the grace we seek from others, the grace we extend to others, has to involve Him. It's His grace we are giving. It's His grace we are receiving. If you're not calling on the Holy Spirit to lead you and strengthen you through this process of forgiveness, you're not going to achieve lasting peace. And if you don't know the forgiveness of the Father this morning, if you don't know the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, if he is not your Savior, let today be the day that you unlock, unlock that door because that's where you're going to get healing. Remember, whatever you do, if it's about you, it's not about God. And whatever you do can be undone. But what God does can never be undone. You can get true, lasting peace. So in conclusion, I just want to remind you again that if we don't seek and accept grace, we won't extend grace and we'll be imprisoned by ungrace, okay? As such, when it comes to forgiveness, we have a choice. We can, one, accept or refuse to accept that we are all debtors, who have been released from a debt we can never repay. Two, we can extend or refuse to extend the grace we have been given to those indebted to us. And three, we can live free or live a life of captivity in the prison of ungrace. You remember that woman from Rwanda I told you about? There she is again. That's not the whole, that's not the whole, that's not the whole picture. That's not the whole story. This is the whole picture. The gentleman to her right, 
he was one of the murderers. He, uh, he didn't murder her family, but he murdered others. They're neighbors. They're friends. You see, Rwanda is an amazing story of, of reconciliation, but, but, but this all came about because the number of people who participated in, in the massacres, when everything was settled, prosecuting those people and putting them in prison would have tanked the economy of the country. That's how many people. The government had a problem, and so, so they instituted a process, and this is a heavily Christian country. They, they instituted, today it is, a process whereby those who repented um, of their sin and, and identified the location of the bodies of the people they killed so they could get a proper burial, those people could be released early, serve a shorter term. Those who didn't repent, those who didn't confess, they're in prison today. So this prophetic parable of Jesus is, turns out more than metaphorical, right? It's, it, it is literal. Um, but I want you to know that these two, they were living in a, what's called a reconciliation village. These are villages where the, the government brought people together uh, who chose to do it. Perpetrators and survivors to live with one another. Okay? It was voluntary. So that they could heal together. It's remarkable. I talked to these two and both of them said, man, oh, it was hard. I mean, they didn't trust. Would you trust the survivors are going, you're really gonna, we're going to live in the same village as the people who basically attacked us and, 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 and tried to eliminate us from the planet? Of course, the perpetrators are going, these people are going to seek revenge. But they tried it out. They did. And that's the other thing about forgiveness. It takes a risk. It takes risk. But that risk paid off. They're living together. They're healing together. Satan lost. For everything that he did through that genocide, he lost by what you saw right there. That's it. That's the gift we have in the grace of God. That's a very dramatic story of a powerful story of example of forgiveness, but there's, there's an even more powerful one, and, and you all know it well. Luke perhaps captured it most poignantly. As he suffered beaten, bleeding, and nailed to a cross. As he experienced the bitter sting of death overcoming him, Luke tells us Jesus said this, Forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. The greatest atrocity ever committed by mankind. And God says, forgive them. I submit to you that there is no atrocity beyond forgiveness. There's no atrocity beyond the grace of God. But we've got to lay hold of that. So I want to challenge you today with three questions. First, who do you need to ask forgiveness of? Think about this. Who do you need to ask forgiveness of? We all probably have one or two or five or 20. I don't know. <laughs> Second, who do you need to give forgiveness to? To think about these things. Very simple questions. These are people in our lives. Third, isn't it time to start the journey? It's a process. It starts with a decision. It doesn't happen overnight. But it's the pathway to true healing. 
If you don't know the power of grace that makes all forgiveness possible because you don't know our sa the Savior, let it be a day that you do. Uh, I want you to experience true forgiveness. And I'd love to talk to you. I would love to talk to you if you're in that space. In a moment here, uh, I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to conclude with a song. Okay? Uh, before I do that, I just want to make a quick plug that the congregational meeting is today at 12.15. Again, please, we need a quorum. So we need members to come out for that. Please, if you're a member, come out. If you're not a member, come out. Okay? God will forgive you if you don't. I'm not sure we will, but... <laughs> No, please, please come out for that. It's very, very important for this church. Um, okay, and I'm going to pray for us, and like I said, we'll conclude in the song. Heavenly Father, we have no need of anything more than the grace that you've given us. It's the foundation of our existence. It's the foundation of our peace. It's the foundation of our being, God. That you have made us reconciled to you by your love. Lord, let this be the day let this be the day that we extend that love to those around us, to those who we've been embittered with. Let this be the day, be the day that we seek that love to, from those who we've hurt by just being repentant and saying, we're sorry, Lord, even if we don't get a, a response, Lord, we know what your response is. Because you are so graceful. You are so graceful and merciful. We thank you for this, Lord. May your name be praised forever. And may your love be known among all the nations in Jesus' name we say these things. Amen.